Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. If you do not have that, we'll put it up there on the screen. And uh, when you've got that, say amen. All right, we don't have the whole lot that got it yet. So when you've got it, say amen. All right, let's hold our Bibles up. Now that you got it, put a finger in it. Say, this is my Bible. Let's say, how about a little enthusiasm this morning? This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do everything. Absolutely everything. My Bible says I can do. By the Holy Spirit, this is God talking to me. Amen. All right, Second Chronicles chapter 16. Now this title is really a weird title. I, I, I always struggle with titles because, you know, I'm working on these messages and then I, the Lord gives me verses primarily but, uh, or an idea. But this is called, How Bad Is Your Want To? How bad is your want to? And uh, how bad do you want the thing to grow? How bad do you want your faith to grow? How bad, you know, I mean, we'll talk about things in our lives that we want to do, we want to accomplish. Someday they want cannot unless your want to is bigger than your circumstance. You cannot receive because it'll be difficult. Now, I'm going to explain why it's difficult, okay? But it'll be difficult for you to receive because there'll always be obstacles that stand in between what you're believing for and where you are right now. How many of you have things you're standing in faith for that haven't happened yet, right? Okay, so we all do. And uh, the, there are things that are that we're believing God for. I, I have a great testimony. I can't all the Sunday, I came up for prayer. That Sunday. So don't ever go up. Must have been really bad. No, it's just the stuff I, it said, the thing wasn't, it's really, it wasn't, is it really bad with your family right now? And you need, it was if you're believing God for your family. They'd come up, so hey, I got family. I stand there, always say to myself, well, I got family I'm believing God for. And that's like us standing in church and we have a toothache and there's a word of knowledge that if somebody here has a toothache and God wants to heal it and we go, I wonder if that's me. Everybody go, duh. Yeah, it's you. Okay? Duh, right? I mean, come on, it's you. So... This this idea you have become bigger in your life is it big? You won't make it. You won't. You so holy. All those you're going. Everybody say fight for. Listen to this. 
This is really awesome. Out of 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, he says, For the eyes of the Lord run to heart is loyal to him. And then he goes on, he's talking to Asa because Asa made a foolish decision and uh, he says you've done foolishly. Now, 2 Chronicles 16.9 in the Living Bible, which is on the screen, for the eyes of the Lord search back and forth across the whole earth and he's looking for someone whose hearts are perfect toward him so that he can show his great power in helping them. Then he goes on and says about Asa, what a fool you've been. So this is really an interesting passage because it, it says to us, God's looking for someone who has faith, someone who is looking to him. He's looking over all the earth for people that are saying, yes, I'm standing in faith for that. Yes, I'm believing God for that. Yes, I, I have a dream that I believe you've put in my heart, Lord God, and I'm going to believe and get through this, and I'm going to experience that miracle in my life. All of us have things in our lives that where we want to get to. Most of you raised your hand when we said, are you believing for something in your life? In the Bible, in the New Testament, even while Jesus walked through Galilee and was doing great and mighty miracles, there were people who still had to press in to be able to receive their miracle. Their want to had to become bigger than their circumstances. Case in point would be the woman with the issue of blood. You know her testimony, and we have that verse up there. But basically, the woman with the issue of blood, that she was a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years. She had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. Came from behind, <clears throat> excuse me, and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. What did she say? She said, look, I've spent all my money. I'm tired. I'm weak. But I want to live, and my desire to live <coughs> is greater than the pain I'm going through right now. My desire to be well is greater than what the physicians have told me already. My desire to be well is greater than what society would say. You know, this woman, <coughs> excuse me, I'm getting a little wound up. This woman, thank you. <coughs> this, take a break. I want you to think of what this woman went through in her life for 12 years. One, you know, in their society that they lived in, if you had this problem, you were considered unclean among the people. And you can read, we, those of you that read through the Bible with me, you know this, that in Leviticus, man, I mean, it tells you if a woman has this problem and it's a non-flowing deal, even when, even when she has her time of the month, she is not to be around people. And this woman had this happening in her life for 12 agonizing years and all the pain that goes with it. But see, think of the tenacity of this woman, that how big her want to was, that she said, no, I want to live. Think of the doctor after doctor that all her wealth is spent, that she's talked to them over and over, and all of them have said, try this medication, try this medication, try this herb, try this you know, procedure, try all of this, and nothing, absolutely nothing worked. Nothing. You know, you'd think in our lives, what would we do? Would we go, well, I, I give up. I'm tired of dealing with this. I'm ready to go home to be with the Lord. But this woman 
had a big want to. She wanted to live, and so she pressed through. In fact, in Matthew 9, 20 and verses 20 and 21, the, re- the account of Matthew in this says, and suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment, for she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. So she even had determined before she even got there that when I touch him, I am going to be healed in my body. I'm going to be healed in my body. See, that's what faith sounds like. Faith doesn't say, I hope I get healed. Faith says, I am going to be healed. I want you to, as you look at this passage in Luke especially, it says that there was a crowd that was thronging him. You know what that means. There was people everywhere, right? Here you got this little woman, frail and weak from, you know, pale from all the years, 12 years of not being able to, to be this flow of blood in her life. She's anemic because of it. She had to be because nothing was stopping it. Nothing was stopping it. And in her weakness... He says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. Now, there's some really powerful things in imagery with this touch the hem of his garment. One, the, the, pre, the, excuse me, the Israelites, when they wore their robes, their robes would have tassels on the end of them, their prayer shawls or the, what they call the tallit. And at the end of those prayer shawls, they would have a blue cord that would hang down from that. And in the Bible, it teaches you in the Old Testament that that blue cord represented heaven to them. It was always to remind them of heaven. But what did this woman say? If I can touch the blue cord, if I can touch the hem of his garment, if I can touch heaven, I'm going to be well in my body. If I can get a hold. So she knows. She has a plan. She knows, one, I cannot get to him by just going, hey, everybody, get out of the way. I need Jesus to pray for me. Because she is a woman that is unclean among her own people, an outcast. But she determines that she's going. And then think about it. You get to the, she gets to the meeting where Jesus is at. She knows that God has anointed him to heal the sick and to cast out devils and all the things. And she's ready for her miracle. She has said already in herself. But then she gets to the meeting. And when she gets there, there's no way to get to him without making a scene. So what does she do? Why did she touch the hem of his garment? Because I believe there's only one way she could get to Jesus, and that was to crawl on her hands and knees through the crowd, to go down below so that she could actually get in this frail, weak, anemic woman. And she said, as soon as I touch him. It it happened because so many people were touching him, the Bible says, that when he said, somebody touched me because power went out of me. And his disciples said, well, you see, there's a lot of people touching you. But he said, no, somebody touched me in faith. And when they did, and this woman then came and confessed everything. How big is your want to? What obstacles will stand? Is it the crowd that stands before you that says you can't get? Is it the challenge of the weakness and the tiredness of what you deal with in your life? This woman said, I want to live. I don't want to die. I want to make it. I'm going to fight to the end. If I die, then I die trying. And I will fight my way through. 
He had a big one too. Blind Bartimaeus is another great example of this. And uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 49 say, says that when they came to Jericho, and as Jesus was going out of Jericho with his disciples, a great multitude were with him, and blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. Have you ever noticed that whenever you make a decision to press into something with God, that people are telling you to be quiet? Don't do that. You know, when I went, look, when I gave my heart to the Lord, when I finally said, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm done being double-minded, you know, I, for my freshman year in college, I was a double-minded Christian. I was just, you know, party on the weekends, repent on Sunday, think about where I'm heading during the week. But I mean, freshman year was bad. But between my freshman and sophomore year, I made a decision in my life, I'm all in. And when I made that decision, I had friends that didn't like it. And they said, you need to stop talking about that. I had one guy I was talking to. We, we, he was giving me a ride home from college. Uh, he lived north of our uh, area. And uh, so I, we were riding home, and we were talking. And he said, he said hey, Rick, could you quit talking about that because you're scaring me? Because you're scaring me. You know, now back in those days, I was crazy because like when I finally got in, I went too far crazy in the things I'd say. So like I would be in a room of a bunch of people and they'd say, well, we go to church, we're going to heaven. And I'd say, no, you're not. You're not going to church because you go to heaven. You can go to church and go to hell. And they were like, wacko, right? crazy man religious fanatic had family thought the exact same thing then I found out about the baptism in the Holy Spirit and was going on the mission field now listen when I made a decision to go on the mission field God had a plan for my life he had everything all orchestrated that I was going to be in a meeting I was going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit before I go and you know when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit I thought everybody wanted to be baptized I thought you know because it was the you know you shall receive power I thought it was cool I thought everybody would be like praise God that's what I want in my life too but you know what I heard shut up be quiet stop talking about that not everybody believes like you do that's always a big one just because you've had that experience doesn't mean everybody's going to have that experience or should. Even religious leaders that I knew were saying things of that nature. But see, here's the thing. When you and I, whatever we want from God, whatever we believe God has said to us, his eyes are searching to and fro. See, when this woman with the issue of blood, his eyes are looking for somebody like that that says, That's, I'm going to get, I'm going to live, I'm not going to die. Like Bartimaeus, that the crowds, the guys tell him, the group around him, even the disciples are saying, hey, just be quiet, you're making too much noise, you're making a racket. He didn't stop to help you, so just too bad. God is looking to and fro throughout the earth for someone whose want to is bigger than their circumstance. Whose want to is bigger than their circumstance. 
Many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more. What did he do? He did the exact opposite. He starts yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And then they called. I love this, how the crowd is so fickle. Remember, crowds are fickle. I learned that in, in coaching basketball. If you win, they love you. If you lose, you need to be fired. You don't know what you're doing. I mean, I used to have people, it's funny, I, I, some of you played ball, so I, you'll relate to this. Like, we would have a game, and one of the kids would shoot a free throw and miss it, and I'd have people come up to me after, don't you practice free throws? I said, no, 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 we just goof off and practice the whole time. We, we don't ever take a free throw shot. I mean, no, 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 no. They don't know the hundreds of shots we make those kids take, right? But, you know, the crowd. Anybody dealing with a crowd right now in your life? Oh, you got the baptism. You're one of those weirdos, those religious fanatics. You probably go to Amazing Grace, right? Well, the doctor said I'm going to die, but I'm believing I'm going to live. Oh, man, you're out to lunch, dude. You're way out. You're wacko. Well, you go on and believe whatever you want to believe, but as for me and my house, this is what I'm going to believe because God is searching to and fro throughout the whole earth who, for those whose heart is loyal to him regardless of the circumstance, regardless of what's going on. You know, when you look at this passage in 16.9 of Chronicles, you find that Asa, God had worked great miracles in Asa's life, and he had delivered them from big troops, and a small troop came along, and Asa hired somebody else to take care of his problem instead of turning to God. I think there are a lot of believers better be careful in their spiritual life that you're looking to everything else to somehow bring the joy, satisfaction, and happiness of your life. The world cannot give it to you. It cannot give. The, look, that's why you became a believer, because you knew that you could not find what you needed in the world system. I drank and drank and drank, and all I needed to do was drink some more, and then I got sick and sick and sick, and, and I, all I did was continue to drink, but I never found the peace that I was looking for. The drugs never gave me the peace I was looking for because there's something wrong in my soul that only God, there's a hole in my life that only God can fill. It's a God-sized hole. He called the blind, they called the blind man saying, hey, hey, good news, the Lord wants to talk to you. The Lord, now they're his friend, right? How fickle the people are. How big is your want to in your life right now for what you're believing God for? I mean, how, how dedicated and loyal are you to God moving in your life? Are you seeking, you know, are you... I think sometimes we get into this place like, well, if it's God's will, it'll happen. But there are things God said, look, that's my, was it God's will that Bartimaeus be healed? Absolutely. But did Bartimaeus have to do something to get to that place? Uh, yeah. How about the woman with the issue of blood? Was it God's will for her to be well? Well, she was made well. But did she have to do something to get to that point? Yes. And that's what I want to talk. That's what I want you to focus on in your life. Look, your want to is what drives you past the crowd, the circumstance, the difficulty that says, "Look, that I'm going to get to this, and I'm not letting anything deter me or stop me. If God said it, I know what His plan is. I know what His will is, and I'm going to push through until I receive." Can you say Amen? My father-in-law, John Farnsworth. Some of you met John and Norma, and. Uh, 
when uh, John had been through a divorce and had he had uh, three kids and Norma had been through a divorce and she had two kids and and they both had been through some really rough patches in their life and when John met Norma uh, he proposed to her and here's what she said I will not marry a man who smokes and doesn't tithe that's what she told him he was going to church but you got so if you want to marry me you got to quit smoking I think he smoked cigars you got to quit smoking cigars and you got to start becoming a tither now look at that point your want to is going to make a determination of how far you're going to go in this relationship right hey man when I met Sharon my want to was big my want to was big I mean, I walked miles and miles. I didn't have a car to be with her to spend time because that's my want to. My, I'm not going to let circumstances stand in the way from where I want to go. And of course, John agreed to all of that. He hadn't smoked since, and he's a tither. He's a great tither and giver. Praise God. You've got to let your want to become big. I read about this story about this guy that, that he was walking through a graveyard late at night. He's taking a shortcut home. And uh, so he's taking this shortcut, and as he's walking through the graveyard, they had left a grave open, and he fell into the grave. And he tried, and he tried to get out, and he couldn't get out. I mean, he just kept jumping. He kept trying to get the edge. He couldn't get out. He clawed at the sides. And, of course, you know, more dirt's falling in on him. Finally, he just says, you know what? I'm just going to sit over here in the corner, and we'll wait till the sun comes up, and then I'll be all right. Somebody will come along and get me out of this hole. Well, a little bit later, he, you know, in the, in the night, about 1 a.m. in the morning, he hears this drunk walking through the graveyard. And this drunk's walking through singing, you know, I'm tired and I want to go home, uh, you know, whatever. And so he's singing. And all of a sudden, the drunk falls into the hole, same hole he's in. Well, the drunk does exactly what he did. He's trying to get out. He's clawing at the side. And the guy's just like, you know, I'm just going to sit here in the dark and be quiet. And... Uh, not say anything you know for a while see if he can get out that guy he kept trying he kept trying and finally the guy that was sitting over in the corner goes saw that he was just ready to give up and he finally said you'll never get out of here and guess what happened he did (laughs) your want to can become pretty big in some circumstances get it all of a sudden, you find the strength and the, the willingness and the jump to be able to get out. Great, a great man of God that went to John Osteen's church, his name was Brother Astep. And Brother Astep, he witnessed to every. He was an older fellow, but he'd witnessed to everybody wherever he went. He'd just tell them about Jesus. So he ends up on this airplane with this guy sitting next to him. And the guy says, I'm an atheist, because Astep, Brother Astep's got his Bible out and he's reading it. And uh, so the guy goes, I don't believe in God. I don't believe any of that stuff. And, and, uh, and, and it's all junk. And so Brother Asep keeps talking to him. And he says, I don't want to hear about your religion anymore. I don't want to hear about what you believe in. So they brought the meal out. You know, they're all sitting there and they're eating their meal. And the guy sitting next to him, he had taken his seatbelt off. And the, Brother Asep still had his on. Well, the plane all of a sudden took a, you know how sometimes they'll take a jump well, it took a jump, but then it started going into a dive. Something had happened that it hit this wind pocket, and it started going down. 
and the plane is going down. And Brother Astep said, this guy that was sitting next to me, all of a sudden he goes flying up out of his seat and he is, his backside is now stuck up on top of, up above me in the air. And I'm sitting down in my seat and he's looking at me and I'm looking at him. He said, and then all of a sudden the pilot, he got that plane leveled out. And uh, he said, you know, it was amazing when he got back in his seat, that man wasn't an atheist anymore. See, your bre- your, look, when things are happening, you, your want to can change. Everybody here knows that. You know in your life that uh, your, how much your life can change when your want to gets big enough. When your want to gets big enough. How big is your want to? Whatever decision you make, always remember opposition will come. Just because God's got a plan for your life doesn't mean it's all going to come into place. Don't, don't think you don't have to do something because you do there's a part that you play many of you heard me tell the testimony about um when i was a kid uh, i was a, uh, a sophomore you know i'd been cut from basketball in seventh grade i wasn't allowed to play in eighth grade and because uh, of my grades and then in ninth grade i got cut again and uh, probably in ninth grade, I was about 6'4", I think, at that time. But I, I was uncoordinated. I grew way too fast in my teen years. And, I mean, I just, I was slow, couldn't jump. I mean, I had all those problems, you know. I couldn't shoot. I didn't know the game. And uh, so I decided between my freshman and my sophomore year that I was going to learn everything I could about basketball. So I took every book out at the library on basketball. I read every single one of them. They would all on the library card have my name. I made sure they had my name on them. I studied basketball. I started looking at Sports Illustrated, reading about different basketball players. And remember, those of you that are my age, you remember we didn't have all the information that's available today. So, I mean, it wasn't like you could readily access. You had to go to a library to get anything. So, um I started studying, and then I asked my coach that was, uh, that was going to be my JV coach in, in my sophomore year, I said, hey, do you know any workouts that I could do that would help develop my game? And he gave me a big sheet that had all these things, you know, shoot 10 layups, right hand, 10 layups, left hand, do different shots, free throws, and so I did that. He gave that to me. I did that every single day through the summer. That summer, I worked on every single day practicing out in my driveway to learn to play the game. And I got better. I didn't get great. I got better. Um, And uh, so what happened was, though, my sophomore year, we're playing a JV game. I'm on the JV team now. I made the team. And uh, I couldn't shoot worth a lick, but I was a really good rebounder and shot blocker because I was big. And uh, I'd grown to about 6'6 by then. So I weighed 178 pounds. Can you believe that? I mean, I'm 100 pounds heavier today. And uh, so I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing what I can do, and my coach is coaching me. Well, I, my dad, I finally talked him into coming to one of the games. And so he came, and somebody said something to him about the way I played, and it upset him. And he got mad at me because he was embarrassed by the way I had played. And because uh, I was uncoordinated. And I mean, no excuse. I mean, it just was one of those things. So I come home that night and I go to talk to my dad. And I'm like, Dad, you know, 
what did you think of the game? And he said, well, do you want me to tell you the truth? And I said, yeah, I want you to tell me. He said, you stink and you should quit. Now, look, don't, don't think bad thoughts about my dad, okay? That's not why I'm telling this story. My dad and I made peace in our lives. We're good. He's in heaven now, praise God. So, but at that time in his life where he was, he wasn't saved. I mean, we didn't have Christ in our home. We were a mess. So he goes, you should quit. And I said, well, fine, then I'll quit. And I walked away. And as I was walking away, all my hard work started coming through my head and what I love to do. Because when you work hard for something, you begin to love what you do instead of, you know, a lot of people have never experienced that. They haven't worked hard for anything. So when you start working hard, man, it, let me say it like this. The harder you work for something, the harder it is to give up, give it up. The harder you work for something, the harder it is to give it up. So I'm walking away, and I'm getting ready to go back up the stairs out of the basement. And, and he, I said, fine, I'll quit. And I walked away. He, and he said, good, I'm glad you're going to do it. And uh, I looked back at him, I, and it hit me. And I never, you know, my dad was a Marine. I mean, you don't, I, it's yes, sir, whatever you say, sir. You don't go back and talk back to him, because he'll go animal. He'll, I mean, you know. Child abuse wasn't a big thing when I was a kid, okay? Do you, you all remember that, right? I mean, most of us by today's standard were totally physically abused by our parents and, and, uh, and coaches and teachers, right? Are you all here? Okay. Just want to make sure I'm talking to the right crowd. So, I mean, I saw teachers throw guys into lockers. So, I mean, just, and coaches do worse. So, anyways... I'm walking up the steps, and man, it hit me, and I, I'm th something inside of me, this voice, I really believe that, that, that God was saying, look, you, this is my plan for your life, this is how I'm going to lead you out, you got to stay with this son, even though I wasn't a believer at the time, and I turned around, and I walked back downstairs, and I said, look, dad, if you don't like the way I play, don't come to any more of my games, but I'm not quitting, and he said, fine, I won't come to any more of your games. Now, he ate his words in the end because I got better. I had to work six hours a day through the summer. Every day I played six hours a day. I'd go to play ball any place I could. I got to play against some pros, college players. I worked. I wasn't as good as they were. I've never been as good as any of those guys were. But I had a heart. See, here's the thing. Where is your heart today? Where is your loyalty? Where is your, where is your focus? What are you willing to give all for today that no matter what anybody says, no matter what anybody, is it the baptism in the Holy Spirit, then speaking in tongues? Is it your healing? Is it your, look, you're not earning it. Don't ever think this woman had to earn her healing. She did not. The healing was taken care of through Christ. What she had to do was to earn her way into his presence, and that was that she had to push through the crowd to get where she needed to go. Bartimaeus had to go against what the crowd was telling because their want to drove them into it. God wasn't saying, well, look, I, I'll have to decide once you get here. You just get there, and it's all taken care of. How big is your want to in your life today? Well, I don't even, I don't know. Well, you need to think about it. You might have had a dream in your life that you were just see as a big dream and somebody talked you out of it. I could tell you all kinds of stories about that. And I've shared some of those here in the past. 
You might have had a dream. I love the quote that says, how great it is to dream the dream as you stand as a youth by the starry stream. But greater still is to live life through and at the end be able to say the dream was true. Will you be able to say the dream is true in your life at the end? If you're looking at a bunch of broken dreams that never happened, things that you never were able to accomplish just because circumstances didn't line up, things didn't work out right, you're, you're, you were believing God and things were said, it, it's not going to happen. Let me tell you that it's not over until God says it's over. Or listen, and, or you say it's over. God will honor your will. Now, a side note from this, those years of having to persevere trained me for what God had for my future. And that was to fight through regardless. To learn more, to grow more. I may not be what I need to be for tomorrow, but I'm going to work my backside off today to make sure that I'm ready when that time comes. Great coach John Wooden said, if you prepare, your opportunity will come. Don't make your opportunity not being in front of you an excuse for you not preparing for your breakthrough. Stand with me, please. <laughs> I had one thing that I was going to mention. I'll let Chuck, they're going to call for the effect if the prayer partners want to, the prayer team wants to come. You can go ahead and do that right now. Broken dreams are tough. I get it. You know, the way you thought your family was going to turn out, the way you thought all the things were going to happen for you financially, the things that you thought with your health. Broken dreams are tough when you had a business idea and it failed. You ended up going bankrupt or you lost everything or a marriage that you thought was going to be really awesome and it ended up falling apart in the end. But I want you to know this that God is with you in the battle. God doesn't cause, I love this quote that somebody had said the other day, it just really hit me, and, and I know you'll know this is true. God doesn't cause your problems, but he's with you in your problems. And, and, and listen, if that dream, if your heart broke, I believe God is the healer of broken hearts, man. Absolutely. And you don't have to leave here brokenhearted. But the determination is, are you willing to press through the crowd? Maybe the crowd is a bunch of voices you're hearing in your head that said, well, we got to go to breakfast right now, or we got to go to lunch. But listen, nothing's more important than this moment right now that you're in, okay? The food will wait. The people will wait. Your breakthrough is far more important. Your healing, your miracle is far more important. Your family is far more important than whatever we got to do next in our life, Okay? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now for those who have broken dreams. Father, I pray this morning, as many of them come to the altar for prayer, Lord God, that you, Lord, are intervening in their soul, Lord God, that, Father, that there is this, uh, as they look to you, Father, your eyes are running to and fro. You're looking all over the earth for people who are just willing to be determined that they know who their God is and they're going to be strong and do exploits. And I thank you for that, Lord God, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Charlie? Amen. How big as you want to.